With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ooh, I said but. Wait, hold on, I said but. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast that's about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty steed and co-host, Eric Silver. Eric, how's it going? Nay, I'm a horse. <laughs> that is it? the it's title of podcast. the podcast. <laughs> It's very fun when you search horse into podcast stuff because you get things like horseback riding advice podcasts and how to care for a horse podcast and then us. What I like is that no equestrian podcast would ever name themselves horse. Yeah. So we're like, we game the system. I mean, no podcast would just be titled whatever the subject is. Like, It's not like Potterless is just called Harry Potter. It should be. Nah. You'd probably get more listeners. Nah, I like my name. I think it's very good. But yeah, we're here to talk about some fun stuff in the NBA, some silly things. But before we get into that, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Mainly, we've got some new patrons. Our first batch of patrons joined us over at patreon.com slash horse hoops to get access to some awesome bonus content like extra audio, extra write-ups about things. And those new patrons are Sean Jones, Anna Turner, Marion Hardman, Robin Elvick, Jeff Van Driesen, and our first ever producer-level patron is Teal. So shout out to all of you. Teal, as our producer, and, and all producers, will get a fun compliment. So Teal, every time they do a hook shot, it swishes, doesn't even bother hitting the rim. Not even a little bit. No, it's not beautiful. even a little. Just clean through. So thank you all to you, our first batch of patrons. Hopefully the first of many. I really love the uh, five on five that both of us wrote. Yes. It was a really good excuse for me to put a grizzly bear video in uh, just online. Just yeah. For fun. I had a great time explaining why bad porn was a nickname for a real life NBA player. That really I still can't believe it. <laughs> I asked you about it and you would give me the explanation. And I'm like, that's terrible. I still hate it. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about current things. So. Real quick, our first segment, Full Court Press. Get it? Like a newspaper? <laughs> so, we... Oh, I get it. Wait, I get it. Thank you for explaining it to me. I got it. So there are two very important things, one of which is very cool, one of which is very funny. Do you want to start with the funny or the cool? I want to start with the funny. Okay, the funny is a internet beef, sort of, that happened between CJ McCollum and Kevin Durant. So CJ McCollum is one of the NBA players that has a podcast, and I personally do not listen to his. It's not that great, in my opinion. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You know what was happening this entire time him and Kevin Durant had this episode? They were eating sandwiches the entire time. Like, it's so bad to listen to because there's like, yeah, so anyway, it's like, oh, my God, like murder my eardrums, please, CJ McCollum. Ugh. Horace is now a podcast about podcasting. <laughs> but anyway, CJ had Kevin Durant on the podcast and Kevin Durant, as you may have heard through Bill Simmons's podcast, I think he's done like four or five of them now. Yeah, he is very vocal and holds nothing back and is a little sassy and isn't afraid to speak his mind. And he definitely was not afraid to speak his mind on CJ McCollum's podcast. So there is one particular segment that was about two minutes long where Kevin Durant just goes 
in on CJ McCollum when CJ McCollum says that he was pretty upset that Boogie Cousins signed with the Warriors and Kevin Durant basically took the like, oh, you mad approach, which is really funny. And I know a lot of people don't like Kevin Durant. I am fine with Kevin Durant. I thought in this little discussion, he was absolutely hilarious. I think Kevin Durant's really funny. And I think that his little like only chin goatee thing that he has going on makes him look (laughs) evil like he's an evil version of who he was in Oklahoma City which I really love important context Kevin Durant went from Oklahoma City to the Warriors and the Warriors are amazing they have Steph Curry and the year that he joined them they had just broken the record for wins in a season he basically joined the best team in the NBA and he was probably the third best second or third best player in the NBA at the time you could you probably say LeBron then him then Steph Curry at the time of him joining so yeah the best team got one of the best players I have no problem with this though because he had an opportunity to join the best team and live in San Francisco and get paid a lot of money to do it it just seems like it would be really fun like he basically did the equivalent of taking a dream job any other person just not being a sports athlete people would applaud this decision going from a small town and then getting a really good job in san francisco that sounds like everyone from high school and all of your co-workers are the best at their jobs yeah and they inherently make your work easier and your uniforms are cooler <laughs> that's an underrated aspect of it he went from the worst uniforms in the nba to the best uniforms in the nba like he did a well, full who i mean well, he's one of the worst to i well, think the best i think the Warriors have the freshest uniforms eh. but the oklahoma cities are garbage sauce they are hot garbage sauce the blue's weird it's like blue that you would find on a, in a crayon box it's like a I, weird okay. gross teal that doesn't look flattering and then their logo it's is not hideous teal, it's just blue it's it's like it's light blue approaching teal teal has green in it yeah i think this has got a little green in it I'm also I think colorblind. That you are drunk. I'm colorblind. All the time. <laughs> Apparently, I know so, I really am. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that explains it. You are not allowed to name colors ever. <laughs> <laughs> but the Warriors uniforms are very fresh, and Oklahoma City's are not. So here's what happened in the 2018 playoffs. The Warriors won the whole thing. They started as the two seed and then won it all. And right below the Warriors and the three seed were the Blazers, the team that CJ McCollum plays for. Right below in enormous quotation marks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. They were supposed to do really well, but then they got swept by the Pelicans. The Pelicans, who barely made the playoffs. Yes, they were the sixth seed. For most of the season, it was a scare that they were even going to make it. But playoff Rondo came alive, and they destroyed them. So pretty disappointing. So Playoffs? Playoffs. Uh, so what what made CJ McCollum upset is that they signed Boogie Cousins, arguably one of the best NBA centers in the league. The Warriors got him for only five million dollars, which he is worth a lot more than. But the big stipulation is that he's probably going to miss at least half of the season. So a lot of other teams didn't want to sign him. So Boogie Cousins figured, eh, you know what? I'll sign with the best team. As far as the actual discussion between them, you can hear the audio if you just search like Kevin Durant, CJ McCollum. It's the top thing because the video of it has two million views on Twitter, but we were going to do a dramatic reading of the interaction. I will be playing the role of Kevin Durant. Eric will be playing the role of the very upset CJ McCollum. Are you ready? I didn't pick this role, but I'm going to... Yeah, I gave it to you because I want to be Kevin Durant. (laughs) You know what they say? There are no small parts, only (laughs) actors forced to do it. So I'll begin. (laughs) This is so funny. (laughs) You know how I felt, bruh? I was hot. Ha ha ha. I don't know if I was more mad than when you went to Golden State. I was more mad when he did it. Boogie Guzzles. Why are you mad about this stuff? Bruh, I'm in the league. What are you... (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, the what delivery you... of bruh. <laughs> I'm trying my best. Um, <laughs> bruh, I'm in the league. What do you mean why am I bad about this stuff? I'm in the Western Conference. I got to play UMFers and all for the no, time. He actually said MFers. CJ McCollum did not say the curse word. <laughs> I've got to play UMFers all the time anyway, as it is over and over again. We've got eliminated by y'all a few times in the first round, so I'm looking at cuz to Marcus Cousins. You know you guys aren't going to win a championship. Bro, we have the team. Ha 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 We have the capabilities. Anything is possible. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we can win a championship, bro. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> we can win a championship. Anything is possible. <laughs> Look, I, I, I like y'all. I like y'all too. <laughs> Talking about Jesse Jimicall and Demi Lillard. You're hard to stop, but I mean, come on. You can't be upset about this. I really like the end of this part. Yeah, Can let's do the ending. So CJ McCollum is asking Kevin Durant for some advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you su- <laughs> What do you suggest? I suggest you just keep playing, man, and don't worry what goes on at the top of things. <laughs> I mean, we were right there at the top of things. We were a third seed. Relax. <laughs> we were right there. We were just slightly below one and two. <laughs> CJ McCollum reminding us how the number three works. <laughs> Well, three comes right after it's one and two. slightly below two. <laughs> and then Durant says, but how'd you play? <laughs> this is this is my favorite mm-hmm. <laughs> favorite excuse. Some unfortunate situations happened in the first round. But how'd you play? Like an eight seed. <laughs> and then they both <laughs> and laugh. And they both laugh. <laughs> uh, Kevin Durant absolutely trolling him. It's so great. The fact that he tells CJ McCollum on, even if you want to go by the rankings, like arguably the third best team in the conference, to not worry about what goes on at the top of things. Oh my goodness. Absolutely savage. <laughs> this is podcast infamy now. I just like, what does CJ McCollum think now as a podcast producer? Like, what does he think is going to happen? I don't know, but you got to put it up. So this sparked some more drama. Later on, after this was posted, someone tweeted at CJ McCollum, do you think it is now, based on this interview, do you think it is now safe to say that Kevin Durant is a bitch? This was something that someone asked CJ McCollum on Twitter, and then he replied. He did a quote (laughs) tweet that's like, I think the B word, and again, he said the B word. I still think the B word is harsh and shouldn't be used. He know that decision was soft, but I respect it. It's like getting jumped with your brothers by a gang you should have beat, then joining the gang that jumped you and your brothers two months later and forgetting about your bro. which like i i get what cj mccollum is trying to say he definitely has taken it way too far here seeing that there's a difference between playing on an nba franchise and standing up for your family member that may have been attacked by a gang so kevin durant then replied on twitter so i would get into a gang fight lose plot on my brother for two months in our home then go get the gang we lost to and beat him up you think that low of me cj i just did your fucking podcast snakes in the grass boy i tell you sideways crying laughing emoji the rolling oh no uh so it's a bit like it's a little bit of kevin durant taking this out of context and and yes cj mccollum was exaggerating here and being hyperbolic and kevin durant calls him out on it and then he calls him a snake which is not good because what kevin durant has done is very snaky but i gotta say though snakes in the grass is like a classic nba thing Mm -hmm. to call somebody who they hate yes like this has happened for years a lot about coaches in front offices people will just tweet grass emoji snake emoji grass emoji 
Right. Like, and that that means your entire career is done. Like, your whole locker room has flipped on you. <laughs> this reply by Kevin Durant then sparked The Ringer to make a t-shirt based off of it that was just black t-shirt with a white square and then written in black text, I just did your fucking podcast, which is a very funny shirt, but it was only live for like half of a day. And then you couldn't buy it anymore. I want it. I wanted it too, kind of. Because it's like, it's one of those things where I wouldn't want to wear it in public, but I would want to wear it around people that I knew would get the joke. Problem is that Bill Simmons, his podcast is under the ringer and... He is one of the only people that has Kevin Durant consistently on a show, which is like a big deal. So what I'm guessing happened, there's no way to be confirmed, but I'm thinking what happened is they put the shirt up for sale. Kevin Durant texted Bill or someone at the ringer was like, yo, don't fucking make that shirt. And then they took it down out of fear of losing <laughs> their connection and the good graces of Kevin Durant, which I think is very funny. Can we make uh, when we have merch, mm-hmm. can we make a shirt that says, I just did your podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, wait. I think that's very funny. Is that good? <laughs> I think we have to make it look exactly like that. I just did your fucking podcast one too. And it will be it'll be such a niche joke, but ideally someone at the ringer will see it and they'll be mad and Bill Simmons will turn over in his Tom Brady Snuggie or whatever. <laughs> he's wearing Uggs and he has the same mattress that Tom Brady loves so much. And then he wakes up in a cold sweat and he's like, oh, someone's stealing my IP. Someone's making fun of me. <laughs> no, uh, no. That was the funny story. And now we have a cool story, which hopefully a lot of you folks heard about. Got a lot of notoriety, which was well worth it. LeBron James, the best player and arguably top two NBA player of all time. I think it's no contest that he's either one or two. He opened a new $8 million public school in Akron, Ohio, which is his LeBron hometown. LeBron James. LeBron oh. James. Oh, man. Are we going to have to stick to our LeBron rule where every time we say LeBron, we have to say LeBron James? That'll be very hard. No, we just do it once because <laughs> okay, he's a good. great man and we appreciate him. <laughs> yes. Now I have so much more respect and appreciation for LeBron. But he opened a school in Akron, which has criminally bad public school systems. It's an amazing school. It's called the I Promise School, and it is currently starting with 240 students students in third and fourth grade, and it says it will add grades each year until it houses first through eighth grade in 2022. I think this is awesome because in addition just to being a good school, we'll have links to it on the episode page on horsehoops.com. Like obviously the building is absolutely beautiful and the facilities are going to be really nice. But in addition to it, there's some really great perks such as free tuition, free uniforms, free bicycle and helmet, free transportation to the school if you live within two miles of it, free breakfast, lunch and snacks, food pantry for families, GEDs and job placement services for parents, and guaranteed tuition to the University of Akron for every student who graduates. God, I love this. Which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I was a high school teacher. I have a master's degree in education. And these are the supports that you know that you have to put around a school. It's like the teachers can't just do everything. You need to make sure that the kids are fed. You want to try to give their parents like as much support as possible, just like giving them the opportunity of as many extracurriculars as possible. And the thing about the bike and the helmet, I saw this on TV. LeBron had talked about how when he was growing up, he also came from a really disadvantaged household living with his mom. And he said that having a bike and knowing that he could just kind of like bike somewhere and like take some time to himself was like really important to him as a kid so that's why that's in there it's all about opportunities and he's Mm -hmm. really supporting everything in here i think it's really interesting that lebron opened a public school yes as opposed to a charter school 
Yeah, as opposed to a charter school. So, like, a charter school, for people who don't know, it's kind of like a private school within a larger public school system. But it's like you get an opportunity to, to go there, and it's kind of funded by private companies, but also gets, like, some state or city funding. It's kind of complicated, but... Mm-hmm. What's important is that charter school or private school can kind of discipline students or decide to kick out students whenever they want. So there's like a very, very low tolerance policy for a lot of different things, which gets really complicated when you're talking about like black students or students of color where they will discipline for pretty much anything. Just not being in uniform or just like missing class or missing your homework like that is enough to be expelled. So the fact that it's within the Akron public school is really important. There's a really interesting thread from viewing about why opening a public school was such an interesting choice from LeBron. She has a doctorate. She's done a lot of research about Chicago school systems. Every single student, so 100% of students who are within the Akron public school systems are classified as economically disadvantaged. So we're talking about building one school, which is like a gamble and it's interesting that like LeBron and his nonprofit has some control over creating this, but LeBron didn't like infuse the public school system with funds so it didn't spread all through the system but the fact that he's able to as a private citizen like make a such big impact and really create like create a building an actual institution within a public school system is complicated but it is really quite special i want to say that lebron being a good person kind of puts him ahead of Michael Jordan for me. It honestly makes me want to do it. And and yes, Michael Jordan has donated a lot to charity. I know that when he was back on the Washington Wizards in 2001, he donated his entire player salary to victims of 9-11, which is awesome. Mm. He did some great stuff in terms of donation, but he's definitely not doing anything to this extent. And he's yeah. not doing anything that phenomenal. You could very much argue that Michael Jordan's emphasis has been more set on things for his own personal gain, like developing his Jordan brand and owning an NBA team. LeBron, with this being kind of his first major thing that he has poured money into, aside from just being a basketball player and having a successful, you know, shoe line and clothing line with Nike, this is definitely a bigger step and honestly makes me want to like LeBron more than Michael Jordan, purely just because he's clearly a very nice and caring person, which cannot be said about Michael Jordan. Yeah, I think... We are going to remember LeBron as his philanthropist and for his nonprofit work and for his devotion to Akron and Ohio and public schools more than we're going to remember about Michael Jordan, which we're going to hear later in the episode. And one final note about the school, which I think is really cool, is that they are specifically trying to get students who really need this help. So the students that are in the school are those who have trailed their peers by a year or two in academic performance. They did a random selection of all of the students that fit that criteria, and then they made phone calls, which has to be an incredible phone call to have received. So there's just some really great stuff. And again, we'll put a bunch of links to articles describing more details on the episode page at horsehoops.com. But that wraps up this edition of Full Court Press. What good. It was nice. And then there was beef. Yeah, we started with some beef, and then we finished with a nice glass of warm heartfeltness. Hey, Mike, guess what? It's time for you to... Oh, you were answering. Yes, I was going to answer it. It was an actual <laughs> question, not a rhetorical question. <laughs> no, it was rhetorical because you didn't give me the space and time to answer it. Hey, Mike, guess what? Chicken butt. Nope, it's time for uh, a three on three. One, two, three. Three, two, one. 
three on three. I am ranking three of my favorite and least favorite things, but this time okay. I'm going to take a little bit of a different twist on this, but I will explain what I'm doing <laughs> I'm, in a second. <laughs> I'm glad we've made it to episode three and we're already screwing with the formula of the show. Good, good. Keeping people on their toes. <laughs> We're talking about softball now. It's true. We're just talking about competitive eating. So, Mike, who would you say is the most famous basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. That would be Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan is known for a lot of very good things, for being very good at scoring, for dunking, for sticking out his tongue. But one thing that you might not know about him is that he is a massive gambler. Oh, I do know this. I Whatever this three-on-three becomes, I'm excited because I love Michael Jordan gambling stuff. He is a known massive gambler, and it yes. is stretched throughout his entire career. Even now, he just cannot stop betting on things. So I started to dig into some gambling stories about Michael Jordan. So I have the three most massive Michael Jordan gambling stories, and I have the three most petty Michael Jordan gambling stories. Yes, I'm very excited because Eric and I, in addition with our friend Eric Schneider, recorded an episode on Spirits Podcast where I talked about NBA conspiracies and Michael Jordan was part of it and we had to cut probably 30 minutes of me talking about Michael Jordan gambling stuff so I'm ecstatic that I get the opportunity to do it and since this is our podcast I'm not going to delete it and we're going to post it so lay these on me I'm so stoked all of Horace is just a revenge for that episode <laughs> <laughs> because we were like over two hours it was, all, it was a totally podcast us. that has 45 minute episodes it was all our fault <laughs> Thank you, Amanda and Julia, for giving us this opportunity. Okay, we're going to start with the third most massive gambling story about Michael Jordan. This is about okay. the Olympics. Did you know Ooh. Michael Jordan was the head of the USA basketball team for a little while there, and they were called the Dream Team. This was around the time when international basketball let professional athletes read the NBA, compete in Olympic sports. Anyway, so in 1992, the Olympics were in Barcelona. So Michael Jordan and the USA Dream Team had just had a walk in the park during this Olympic run. They were crushing opponents by more than 40 points per game. So, when they mm -hmm. had time to relax, Michael Jordan would sit down and spend all of his time partying and gambling. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, rumors say that Michael Jordan actually slept for under one hour before the gold medal game. He stayed up until six in the morning playing poker alongside Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley, and his Bulls teammate Scottie Pippen before completely wrecking Croatia's hopes in the match for the gold. Wow. So, yeah. Oh, hey, I'm an Olympic athlete. You know what I'm going to do is hang out in Olympic Village and just, like, play with my other friends and just, like, tear it up. I don't. <laughs> the craziest thing about this is that he wasn't gambling with random people because there have been other instances of Michael Jordan gambling during the playoffs of the NBA. But he was just out by himself and no one knew where he was. What's crazy about this is that he's with the team and they know they have the gold medal match and they're all just thinking, nah, screw it. It's Croatia. And they stay up till six in the morning. Nah, it's fine. Let's just play a bunch of poker and hang out and lose a ton of money. I don't know what Michael Jordan does to these people to get them to compete and to get them to gamble. Like, I know that athletes are inherently like wired to compete, but like Michael Jordan must have some massive nagging moves to get like these professional, amazing. Yeah athletes who are all very accomplished in their lives elite negging to do what he wants them to do like mm, magic johnson it's not a really good shirt let's play poker until six in the morning you know that's the way to get it done it's terrible no one should treat anyone like that the no. mystery from the next pickup artist is a lie don't trust him so michael jordan olympic poker that's number three 
Okay. Okay. So, yo, you were talking about Michael Jordan used to compete during the NBA season and in the playoffs. Oh, is this the Atlantic City? Yes, it is. Yes. So, number two <laughs> is that Michael Jordan stayed out all night the day before a game against the Knicks because he went to Atlantic mm-hmm. City to gamble. Mm-hmm. This is pulled right from the New York Times from May 1993. Michael Jordan turned the Knicks home court advantage into the Knicks home casino advantage. <laughs> Whoever, that lead, choice. Thank you, 1993. <laughs> uh, in the hours when Jordan's time might have been better spent resting for the second game of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Bulls and the Knicks, he was sighted by hotel guests in the Baccarat pit at Bailey's Grand Casino in Atlantic City. <laughs> this is what is also great, though, is that the Knicks fans who are also in Atlantic City the night before because they are fans that don't have things to do the next day, they were just yelling at him while he was there. So, for example, one of them just said, "You weren't taking golf lessons in Atlantic City, Michael. How's the wrist <laughs> after that slots, Michael?" Referring to the brace on Jordan's damaged right wrist, which I guess he got from. Gambling? I don't know. I'm assuming that he actually heard it in the game and was wearing it, and then they just were making fun of the fact that he was using his his injured wrist to gamble. It's still amazing. Jordan mm. reportedly lost $5,000 playing blackjack in a private area in the Baccarat pit, but that isn't the issue. Even if he had won $5,000, it still wouldn't justify his being a two-hour limo <laughs> ride from the Bulls Midtown New York Hotel at 2.30 the morning of the big game. I, I like that the author has to clarify that, no, this isn't the problem. As if he came back, you know, it's six in the morning and he's gotten no sleep and they got to get up soon. And the Bulls front office and coaching staff asked him, where have you been? Oh, I've been gambling. Well, did you win? Yes, I've made $5,000. Okay, well, that's fine. At least you won, Michael. Now take a nap. <laughs> the New York Times is really doing their diligence to make sure that everyone knows why this is bad. <laughs> but in the box score on Tuesday night, Jordan justified his reputation as being freaking amazing by scoring 36 points in the Bulls' 96-91 loss. Yeah, so they lost. Okay. It doesn't matter if you played well. They he lost. He scored 36 points. That is so many points, even while staying out until 2.30 in the morning. Hey, uh, how do you spell loss? Uh, 30. It's still incredibly impressive. L. (laughs) I like that you still have Nick's homerism, even in 1993. If I was a Knicks fan in the casino while this was going down, I wouldn't be shit-talking Michael Jordan. I would be trying to egg him on into staying as late as possible. So I would be making outlandish bets. I'd be trying to talk him into stuff. I would do anything that I could to prevent him from leaving. And then when he ended up losing the next day, I would have taken all of the credit for it. How old were you in 1993? I was one. So it was like, ma'am, please take your outlandish baby away from Atlantic City. Michael Jordan, come over here, you big baby, and play more blackjack. <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'am, your baby can talk extremely well and has a very good grasp <laughs> on the NBA, but please take him away. He's scaring the customers. Also, it's two in the morning. Please du- put him to bed. Double, double or nothing. <laughs> All right, we'll check back in with baby shoes in a little bit. We'll get him that little time <laughs> machine. Oh, my God. The thing is, you can goad Michael Jordan into doing pretty much anything if you put enough money oh, on yes. the line. 
Oh, for sure. And we're going to get to that when we get to the pettiest things that have ever happened <laughs> in Michael Jordan's life. But the most massive story about Michael Jordan's gambling is that he might have had a secret suspension, which is why he left basketball for 18 months. Mm-hmm. And this is what was the crux of our story in the Spirits episode. Yeah, so we're not going to get into it nearly as much, but the really short answer is that Michael Jordan won three championships in a row, and then he retired from basketball. Michael Jordan said that he stepped away because he just didn't have the heart in anymore. He just didn't want to really compete. And he was also dealing with the death of his father, who he was really close with. All of these things could have been true, but people say... The reason why he left basketball to play baseball for like 18 months is that Commissioner David Stern needed him to cool off with the gambling because all of these Mm -hmm. stories were coming out. He's like, look, just like chill out for 18 months and then you can just come back and it's fine. There's a lot of damning evidence that kind of points towards that. For example, Mm -hmm. that he was playing for the Birmingham Barons, which was the minor league team for the Chicago White Sox, which was owned by the same guy who owned the Bulls at the time. So his bas- and still is. Yeah, still is. His basketball contract was still being honored by the Bulls even while he was away for 18 months. Like, you can't do that unless you have someone upstairs pulling the strings. So that's one element. Another thing, and what a lot of people tie to it, is because, as you said, this was 93. So this is right after the Knicks Atlantic City story happened. So that was so significant that the NBA launched an investigation to see if Michael Jordan was doing suspicious and illegal things such as gambling against his own team or any sort of thing like that, like a Pete Rose situation. And what happened, which creates some damning evidence, is that one day after Michael Jordan said that he was retiring from the NBA to pursue a career in baseball, the NBA shut down its investigation, saying that their findings were inconclusive. So this was a day after he retires. So it becomes very suspicious that it seems like David Stern said to Michael Jordan, hey, just just go away for a little bit. Let this blow over and then come back. Because Michael Jordan was the NBA at this time. It was him and nobody else. Yeah, people would tune in on television and go to games because he was going to be there. So if he was going to wreck it with this massive gambling scandal, might as well just tell him to chill out for 18 months. And it seems like he wanted to do it so he can keep being Michael Jordan. I mean, there's a reason we still care about him today. If he was tarnished Mm -hmm. by a gambling scandal and now Michael Jordan Mm -hmm. owns an NBA team, he has Jordan shoes, like he wears an earring and no one really says anything (laughs) about it. (laughs) He kind of had a Hitler mustache for a couple years. Nobody really cared. Yeah, no one said anything to him. He was just like, oh, here's my mustache. And everyone was like, good. Yes. (laughs) Good job with the mustache. So, biggest story, Michael Jordan may or may not have taken a secret suspension because of his gambling. Hmm. Now, give me the petty stuff. Uh, Here's the petty stuff. signed up for. Number three on the petty list. Michael Jordan used to bet $100,000 on games of rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) Yep. What? Mm-hmm. I know that there are like some competitive rock, paper, scissors leagues where people take a strategy to it and they say that they can know blah, blah, blah. A hundred thousand dollars? No, this isn't about strategy. He just gets people to bet money on rock, paper, scissors. I, I know. Like compulsively. What? What the heck? Okay, here's what happened. Jay Williams used to play on the Bulls, and he got into a really bad motorcycle accident, which ended his career. But he still has stories about the NBA. This is from an SB Nation article. He went on to a podcast to talk about his days playing ball and gambling with the one and only Michael Jordan. 
I used to have dudes on her team who were messing around with MJ. And MJ was like, bet it back, bet it back. And I'm like, why are you fucking with the big bank? Why are you fucking with Brand Jordan? He can't lose. Last year, he made $150 million. How are you messing with him? Mm-hmm. So think about gambling to the next degree. Rock, paper, scissors, you bet $20,000 all day long. Why wouldn't you? You just get bored. It's the 90s. It's fine. I said it's the 90s. Jay Williams said all the other stuff. Okay, I was like, one one of these sentences doesn't sound like Jay Williams. Eric Silver says <laughs> it's commentary about the 90s. But he goes on. Don't get yourself down in the dice game. Don't be in the corner and let some dude keep fading you out. And all of a sudden, you're down $100,000. And Michael Jordan's like, yo, bet it back. Rock, paper, scissors for $100,000. (laughs) He just wants you to keep betting. Like, betting on anything. And you have the money, as I guess, as a young NBA player. And he wants to take it from you. Jeez. It's just the pressure of being Michael Jordan gets people to do stuff. This is the negative. I mean, yeah, because he's Michael Jordan. He's peacocking. He's telling you that you don't actually look that great. It's fine. Oh, jeez. All right. What's petty number two? Okay. Petty number two. Michael Jordan bet Charles Barkley $300,000 on a single golf putt. Putt? Yeah. One putt. One putt. I thought you were going to say game, and I was going to say that's not that shocking. Putt? One putt. Did he he make it? (laughs) Hold on. The thing okay. is, Charles Barkley, notorious, terrible golfer. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Just terrible golfer. Just terrible golfer. Charles Barkley loves to golf, and Michael Jordan also loves to golf, and he loves to bet money on golf. This is like his thing now. There was a situation where Michael Jordan owed somebody $1.5 million just from golfing gambling bets. What is it about golf? I don't understand it. Why is it's golf that, exciting to bet on? Um, it's just because there are individual things to bet on while it goes down. Because you can bet on an individual hole. You can bet on the front nine or the back nine. You can bet on the entire round of 18. You can bet on things like putts or individual shots. There's all sorts of different things that you can do. I, and I, I have never been a big partaker in that. But I think just because it is something that is broken down into individual events, so to speak, you can just bet on all of those individual events, which is harder for something like horse racing, which is just just one race or basketball, which is constantly going right. golf has the stop and go. And before you do anything, you can say, Hey, I bet you 50 bucks that I hit this on the green. You're on boom, you know, etc. That was a very convincing way to convince me to care about golf. Thank you. I don't know. I golf a decent amount, but not enough. Oh no. I oh no. What? It. Oh no. I used, I used to golf a lot. I haven't golfed in like two years, but I lived in Houston and you can golf year round, you know, cause it's warm out all the time. My dad really likes golfing a lot and he's very good at it. So if anything, it was just a father son bonding thing. I don't think I actually like the sport of golf. I just like golfing with my dad cause it makes him happy. So now that I don't live in the same state as my dad and don't golf anymore because it's expensive, even if you're not betting, it costs like 50 bucks a round to play golf. I can play basketball for seven bucks a game at the league that I'm in. That is way better and more fun and gets me in shape and doesn't take four and a half hours. And it's not as frustrating. You can't see my face, but I still have a disgusted face on, even though you talked about your dad in that touching moment. What? It's, I mean, it, it, it what golf is. You know Houston, the golf, the big, you know, Houston, the golfing city. Houston is huge for golf because land is so cheap there that there's a ton of golf courses. I'm stunned at how much you golf. I don't even know you anymore. 
I don't even know if I can keep doing this podcast because you love golf so much. Let's just make it a golfing podcast. I don't love golf so much. I just said I haven't golfed in two years. I play basketball every weekend. Mike, why do you love golf so much? I'm going to start oh, calling gosh, you the front stop. nine. Oh, what up? It's the front nine. He'd rather be golfing, but he's playing basketball. That's you. Not true, but okay. It sounds like you. I don't know. I don't even know you anymore. I'm going to get you some striped pants so that you can go golf. Oh, please do. I would love free clothes. I will I send you str- I will send you plaid pants in the mail. Expect Good. plaid pants. I would like a pair of plaid pants. Good. I'm a 3032. Good. Slim fit, please. Good. Fine. Good. This is just throwing me off. I got to get back to Charles Barkley. You are just throwing me off. What what secrets are you going to tell me now? Did you know I played varsity tennis 4 years in high school? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basketball in the fall. Tennis in the spring. That was my deal in high school. And it, Bing, bang, boom. And then just golf every other time. Adigas. All day I dream about golf. You did that wrong. Adigas would be all day I golf about sports. <laughs> You're looking Shut for up. a D-dog. <laughs> Shut up, front nine. Don't tell me how to spell. <laughs> okay. All right. My fury has overcome me. I got to get back to what I've written down because I'm engulfed <laughs> in fury. Are you engulfed in fury? I hate you so much. (laughs) I want to quit this podcast. (laughs) See, episode three, everything's falling apart. Okay. Charles Barkley got bet by Michael Jordan $300,000 on a single golf putt. He said to Golf Magazine, no, it's golf.com, which is much more reputable than Golf Magazine. Right, Shubes? golf man i think they might be run by the same people <laughs> probably we'd be playing golf with certain people for a hu- we you got me so mad i can't even read what what are you having what is this vendetta against a sport i can't believe you love golf so much it's crazy i don't <laughs> you're just gonna bet on which scottish guy is gonna do the best i n- have never watched golf on tv it's the worst sport to watch i don't TV. even know who you are anymore okay i'm michael schubert host of the potterless podcast and co-host of horse michael in Quotation marks, front nine, shoe bear. You're just mad that I beat you in NBA. All right, listen. (laughs) Now I'm even more incensed. Okay. (laughs) We'd be playing golf with certain people for a couple hundred dollars a hole, nothing big, and he'd be playing some guy for like a hundred, for a hundred thousand dollars, Barkley said of Jordan. He's like, Charles, pick that up. And I'm like, this putt is for $200. And he's like, pick that up, Charles. Get out of my way. You're in my line. And I'm like, how much is that putt for? And he's like, $300,000. And I said, let me get out of your line. It was crazy, man. Oh, so he didn't do it. No, Charles Barkley did not pick up the $300,000 oh, bet. Man, I wanted a very large transaction to take place. Just the fact that it's out there and that it was even possible is bananas to Yeah. Me. It scares me. I want to know exactly how hard of a putt it was. I need the full story. If I ever meet Charles Barkley, I will ask him details about this putt. You should. That's very good. Okay. I'll let you know. I'll report back. Please do. For your golf podcast, you're going to start with Charles Barkley. I would never. It might happen. I don't even know you anymore. And the pettiest thing that Michael Jordan has ever done in his life related to betting is that he used to bet on getting his luggage back from planes. Oh, yes. I've heard this story, and it's phenomenal. It's ridiculous. Okay. No one is really sure when Michael Jordan did this. Some people say it was when he was coming back from the Olympics with Team USA. Other people say it was with his teammates on the Bulls. But whenever he did it, Michael Jordan went up to his teammate and bet them that he would get his bag first from baggage claim. Now, of course, all the players look at each other and be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, of course. Why would you think that you would get it before we would? And then Michael Jordan said, it's because... I'm Michael Jordan. <laughs> they, they would just, 
<laughs> they would just know that his luggage is so important it has to get off the plane first. <laughs> so they're like, okay, fine. So Michael Jordan, he waits around. The baggage claim starts up. And then, of course, the first bag that comes out is Michael Jordan's luggage. <laughs> now, little did his teammates know, Michael Jordan had already bribed the airport workers to put his of luggage in first. Of course he had. Because he's a scheming he mother heifer. Just because he wanted to win so badly and, like, kind of stunt on his teammates. And this is the single pettiest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Not only does he want to prove to his teammates that he's hot shit, not only does he want to win, but he will go to any extent, even in the airport, even when getting off of a plane, to show his teammates that he is amazing and he can win money off of them. He's so competitive that he will cheat in order to make it so that he will win, which is my favorite fake Michael Jordan gambling story, which I thought was real for years years is that he used to bet scotty pippen on the overhead things on the jumbotron when you know they had the thing where it's like a race between subway cars to get to yankee stadium or boats to get to safeco field or whatever he would bet scotty pippen on those in between the third and fourth quarter but what would happen is he would ask the person operating the scoreboard when he got to the court early to warm up he would ask them and then they would tell him oh yeah train two is gonna win and then <laughs> he would do that all the time but it's just a rumor I'm sorry blah, Mike. Blah. i'm sorry mike that was a very whimsical story i know but it's, it's so believable given how absurd michael jordan is all of these things are absurd i can't believe half the stuff that i just told you the mm-hmm. hundred thousand dollars on rock paper scissors that's absurd that's bonkers absolutely bonkers i like it when i can tell you something that you don't know oh no it's so great so speaking of telling each other stuff that we don't know i am pretty sure that you did not know that this is a thing which is falling under our segment that actually happened hey eric did you know that stefan marbury starred in a musical inspired by the story of his life in beijing china what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) So Stefan Marbury, who was estranged from the NBA for being a big grumpy sourpuss, Good. took a year off and then played for a few years in Beijing. He led a team to two CBA championships. And afterwards, they wrote a play about his life called I Am Marbury, The Evolution of a Lone Wolf. <sighs> Yeah. Oh, strap in. Buckle up. Here we go. The play ran for 11 nights in Beijing in October of 2014. So basically what the play did was it covered Marbury's life during the 2011-2012 Beijing Ducks championship season. It was the first time that this basketball team had ever won the CBA title. And they won against the Guangdong Tigers, whose star player, star player, was Aaron Brooks. I don't know if you know Aaron Brooks, notable, he's okay, I guess, basketball player, (laughs) but that was the big showdown, was late 30s Stefan Marbury versus eh, Aaron Brooks. (laughs) I don't know how to process this. Wait, there is a stage production for Stefan Marbury for just being good at basketball, and he was the lone wolf? Well, he is absolutely beloved in Beijing, because Beijing, the city itself, 
is made up of a lot of migrants. A lot of people that live in Beijing are not from Beijing. So what happened with Stefan Marbury is they viewed his story as inspirational because basically he came over to Beijing after having a very tumultuous end to his NBA career. He had a very tumultuous tenure with the Knicks where he signed this monstrous contract and then never lived up to the expectations of it. He had public disputes with one of his coaches, which eventually led to that coach getting fired. Then he had public disputes with the next coach. He took voluntary service surgery, which the team deemed that he did not need. He took it so that he wouldn't have to play for this coach that he didn't like anymore. That coach still ended up getting fired. Then the Knicks ended up buying out his contract and banning him from participating on their team, basically saying, you cannot be around us. Then he signed for a year with the Boston Celtics. He was eh. The next year, the Celtics offered him a veteran minimum contract. He said, no, that's not enough money. And then he bounced. So he had this awful reputation, this awful end to his career in the the NBA and he went over to Beijing, China and he kind of reinvented himself. So his story was even more inspiring because he didn't have success in Beijing, China right away. The first team that he joined, he played pretty well and the owner of that team said that he was going to re-sign Stefan Marbury for a second season with the Dragons, but they got a new general manager and they decided not to retain Stefan Marbury, but what they did was they didn't want him going to another team, so they waited until until two weeks before the signing deadline to tell him that he wasn't going to be on the team. <laughs> and with visa stuff, like they were trying to play it so that he wouldn't be allowed to play in the league because it would be such short notice. So he had to sign with this like lower tier team called the Dra Lions, which is, as you would guess, a hybrid between a dragon and a lion. Good. And he was on this not as great team. And then after that, he joined the Beijing Ducks. And then in his first year, led them to a CBA championship. And then they won one, not the next year, but the year after. So he had this inspiring story and one that specifically connected with the people of Beijing because he embodied their migrant spirit. So the play is roughly based off of his life. He is not necessarily the main character. It is more based on people that were inspired by his Wait, wait, wait people... a second. Wait, yeah. wait. There is a stage play about Stefan yes. Marbury, him being a lone yes. wolf. But the yes. conceit, the construction of this drama is about the people who were touched by his kindness, grace, strength, and ability. Yeah, the musical's theme centers on how Marbury's success inspired millions of fellow young migrants to continue to go after their own dreams. What? I have had so many different ideas of what this stage play is. First, it was like an action movie where he gets beaten down and he comes back or it's like a sports movie. And then it's like this glorious, like just exaltation of this one guy. But now it's like an after school special on the stage. If there are live wolves on the stage, Mike, I'm going to freak out. There are not live wolves, but the play's director said that the theme of the play is, quote, never give up. And it incorporated choreographed basketball moves along with dance moves. So the play itself is ridiculous. I couldn't find a video of the actual thing. There is a YouTube video that has just some highlights from it. Basically, some of the Stefan Marbury scenes it is very silly. There is one part. I don't know the context, but he just goes, yes, it is I, Stefan Marbury. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what caused it, but that was a clip. And then there is some of the lyrics because obviously it is in Chinese, so I don't know what it says. But one of the lyrics that they brought out of one of the songs is, I am Marbury. We are all Marburys. We are all proud of ourselves. No, I am Stefan Marbury. No, I am no, Stefan Marbury. <laughs> we are all Stefan Marbury. <laughs> 
about the musical itself, Stefan Marbury said, coming to Beijing throughout all of what has happened and the success I've gained, I look at it as I was just fortunate and blessed to be able to endure, accept, and embrace the culture allowed me to become a Beipiao, which is the Beijing phrase for migrant Beijing person. It's just kind of saying like he's one of them. And I'll put a link to this YouTube video on the episode page on horsehoops.com. But yeah, there was a play about Stefan Marbury, but not actually starring Stefan Marbury called I Am Marbury, The Evolution of a Lone Wolf. That actually happened. That I can't, I truly cannot believe that actually <laughs> happened. This yeah, it did. We need to keep a tally of things that we actually believe or not, because I think this one is our first one that I do not I cannot accept in my bones that this was a real well, thing you that happened. Accept to me. it in your bones because Stefan Marbury believes it to be destiny. There's another quote about the play where he said, "Quote: This is just how my life is written. It's supposed to go this way. This is part of what is supposed to happen." <laughs> like, what? like his destiny was to be an NBA burnout and then go on a team that he led to victory in his late 30s and then star in a play about him. They also made a movie about him, but that's less fun than a musical. Yeah, everyone knows that the movie adaptation is a lot worse to the original, you know, the original well, content. I mean, he was the main character in the movie, so I'm assuming it's worse because not a good actor, from which you can see from the clip. Wait, did he star in the musical? In the movie, yes. In the musical, he was just in a few scenes. I think mainly because the musical is in Chinese and he does not speak Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> This keeps getting better. I love this so much. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you for this gift you've brought into my life. No problem. I'm very glad that I could share it with you and the internet. Can I move to China and then will they make a musical about me? Only if you win two basketball championships in a span of three years. Cool. Okay. I think I can do that. Where's Aaron Brooks? I want to challenge him. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe that actually happened. <laughs> it did. So yeah, so that is the end of that actually happened. And that's the end of this episode of horse so eric thanks so much for joining thanks for talking basketball i am so and stunned you're, you're i'm so stunned, stunned. <laughs> i don't know how we're gonna do the credits i don't know how to process this i don't think you're gonna be able to i think your brain is just goop with learning that i have played golf before and now this thing about the play your brain has been liquid. there are too many secrets you've given me too many surprises you asked for secrets i have given you secrets i'm so surprised Thanks. Horse is hosted by me with my brain melted and Shoops. <laughs> Here, I got this. Okay. Okay. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Eric Silver. It is edited by Eric Silver. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. Our theme song is by Bettina Campomanes. Art is by Allison Wigman. And our website is by Kelly Beckman. Special thanks to our supporting producer, Teal. Social media, you can find us at Facebook.com slash Horse Hoops, Instagram.com slash Horse Hoops, and Twitter.com slash Horse underscore Hoops, because as we all know, Horse Hoops, horse was, hoops banned. was banned. What did he? <laughs> if you want his to mind some... was also liquidated by the Stefan Marbury yeah. play. That must be it. <laughs> So if you want some bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash horse hoops. And for any other information about our show, go to horsehoops.com. If you like the podcast, tell a friend. It's the best way to spread the good love is by word of mouth. Oh, uh, I need to fight through the cloud that is now going across my eyes to tell you about Multitude, which is the audio collective we are a part of. There is Spirits. There is Join the Party. There is Potterless. There is Waystation. We are all big, big audio nerds. Oh, no, the light is coming to me. No, go away. I need to talk about it. <laughs> if you want to hear Eric do stuff about Dungeons and Dragons, check out Join the Party. If you want to hear me talk about Harry Potter, check out Potterless. But we will see all of you folks next time in two weeks when we discuss some current stuff and we try to blow Eric's mind again. Oh <laughs> okay, I know what to say on three. 
putting it okay, in our hands. Th- hands in. What are we saying? All right, on three, say uh-huh. what are we saying this on is destiny. On three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. One, One, two, two three. three. This, this is destiny. destiny. <laughs>